welcome to our new spring series called Spiritual Practices. It was six years ago, actually, that we as a church first explored this conversation formally for the very first time. But, but now in this moment, this conversation, this call is more important than ever before. Now, I know that I'm preaching during this global moment, but this is actually how we're going to pivot from surviving this to redeeming this uh, moment. This is actually how we choose to move forward. The spiritual practices are the places. They provide the environments to be with God himself after you've encountered him through Jesus alone. Now, if you're listening to these, these, these sermons years from now, they're gonna be as relevant to you then as they are to us today. Why? Because they actually answer the fundamental question and the cry that we have in any situation as followers of God in any season of life. Psalm 42.2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? Now, now this brings me to the why this series in this moment. Lean in because God is already himself coming close to us in all of our environments. In this moment of pandemic, when normal has been removed and or the normal that we knew might not fully come back, this could actually be a gift to truly take Jesus' invitation for guaranteed encounter seriously. As, as I'm looking across my family, as I'm looking across our church, as I'm looking across our country, there seems to be two groups of people forming in this moment. First, depending on your living situation, either you feel very isolated and or you feel suffocated. I'm in the second category. I have three children under 12, a wife and a dog. My, my wife has told me that she's enjoyed spending time with me, but she was hoping for a little bit more of an isolation experience. And not only that, being with our kids, it's been amazing. We've learned how to bake together and hang out together and play games. But I can tell you, we feel suffocated a lot of the time. And not only that, to make things even more crazy, my wife and children thought it would be a brilliant idea to buy a puppy jersey this. So Augustine got added to our family. We already have another dog. So now I have another child who's pooping and peeing and is everywhere and has already, by the way, bit my daughter's computer from school and cracked its screen. So it's awesome at this moment. So there's this suffocation moment and this sort of isolation moment. But then when it comes to work, it's taking another two forms. There are many that are overworked because without them, we'd be even in more trouble. Nurses, doctors, garbage men and women, those working in grocery stores, uh, those helping in the economy, uh, faith leaders, the list goes on. And they're working such crazy hours, they don't even know if they're going to make it. And then there's others who have lost their jobs or are working at home, and it's not as busy as it used to be. Many are somewhere between exhaustion and boredom, wanting to help and feeling useless to those working so much you don't even know what day it is. So between isolation and suffocation, between boredom and exhaustion, we're all together still not allowed to go anywhere. You, you can't go on vacation, you can't go to eat, you can't go to the gym, you cannot have a party, you can't be close to family and friends. Now, this is painful for all of us and frustrating, and yet this also is a gift. This is the very first global virtual monastic moment. And in this moment, as we live between all these extremes, God is inviting us to be with him. With all that in mind, listen again to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need, 
and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So he says, shockingly, the secret of contentment with everything or nothing in the crazy and the boredom, in the isolation or the suffocation is not a group of ideas or morals or exercise programs. No, no, it's him. So then the question we need to ask was, how do you hang out with Jesus, the source of contentment in the middle of all this? So let me again repeat the question I have said so many times here at Sanctus Church. Are there guaranteed places between me and Jesus? If I walk in certain environments, if I go to certain places, if I do certain practices, will I always find God? Is that even a right expectation? And the answer is yes. Though God is omniscient and omnipresent, he, he, he's everywhere, there are places according to the Bible where God comes close. He moves, from a palpa, he moves from omnipresence to palpability. And one of the largest accessible environments is what we call spiritual disciplines or holy habits or spiritual practices. The choice at this growing moment of isolation and overwork is either in our sadness and boredom and exhaustion or fear, it's to begin to grow and continue to help uh, foster unhealthy, ungodly, escapist practices, or start walking with Jesus like Jesus walked with the Father and actually gain contentment and begin to build new rhythms that could actually mark you for your whole life. Let me work this out this way. Years ago when I was young, I used to hang out with my mom's parents, my grandparents, and I was close to them and I loved them. And they used to take me shopping. And what was so frustrating to me all the time was when I was with them, they always bought the cheapest stuff. And I didn't understand it. Now, my grandfather worked in a factory his whole life. Uh, my grandmother was what they used to call a secretary. So they were more blue collar actually in their experience, but had saved tons of money. And I knew they had it. But my grandmother would take me to Byway. You, some of you won't even know what that is. And she would buy makeup there. Now, I know nothing about makeup, but I know that 25 cents or a dollar lipstick probably isn't good. And then we'd go to the grocery store and everything, 1.2 million coupons. And everything was like, we've got to save this money. And, and they never, ever traveled. And I said, why don't you travel? And finally, they looked at me and they said, John, you never lived through what we lived through. We lived through the depression and we know what it's like to have nothing and we're never going to go through that again. See, they were marked by fear the rest of their life because of an experience they went through. But here's how I want to sort of frame this for us. We have the opportunity in this moment to actually be marked by faith the rest of our life. And when we're hanging out with our grandkids, we can tell them that we began to learn how to encounter Jesus in profound new ways during this moment. This is gift. Now, what I'm about to do and what I'm about to teach, for some of you, you've heard me say this many times before. For others of you, this is going to rock your world. But for all of us, this is the foundation. This is the new floor that we can build on so we can be transformed in this moment and beyond this moment. This is, again, this one-in-a-lifetime opportunity to grow in that one discipleship dimension, your walk with Jesus. And as porn sites and online gambling are exponentially growing, now is the time to become more fully devoted, more like Jesus, and to learn the ancient ways that have been followed by every generation of Christians in the best times, the worst times, in fear, when the shadow of death is around, and when things are boring, and when things are amazing. So again, back to the question, how? 
Well, we need to look at the ultimate example of what it looks like to walk with God. Jesus, he did it perfectly. And like we say here at Sanctus all the time, Jesus isn't just our savior. And Jesus isn't just our Lord. He's actually also our model personally and together uh, to what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now, if you listen closely to Jesus, especially what John wrote down, you begin to see that Jesus is saying things to all followers in every generation, and he's inviting us and actually commanding us to do the things that he did. And this was God's plan all along. Not just that we would be saved by Jesus, but we could imitate him too. Back to these two critical verses, John 5, 19. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. They will even do greater things than these because I'm going to the father. So Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see my dad doing. My father tells me what to do. Well, well, that's interesting. And then the question is, well, how did Jesus hear and see what his father was up to? And not only that, why would he even say that? Because Jesus is equal with the father because Jesus is God and doesn't he know everything anyway? Oh, and then Jesus turns around and says to people like us who are good and bad and mixed as Christians, oh, you're, you as my everyday followers, you're going to do the same things I've been doing and even greater things. So what does that mean? Well, to understand this whole spring series, we really again need to come back and understand Jesus, who he was, what he did while he was here on earth, and see how this connects to the invitation to follow for real in his footsteps. So let me remind the whole church what I preached on before when I did this spiritual gift series. And by the way, I should say that this spring series on spiritual practices is like the twin sister series to our spiritual gift series. These two groups of sermons are the DNA, the foundation, the bias to what we as a church function out of. So if you're joining us for the first time or you've been checking out us online for a while to understand Sanctus Church, you need to really lean into this series and go back and listen to the spiritual gift series. So let's all turn to Philippians chapter 2 again. Philippians 2.5 reads like this. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, I've preached this before, but let me go through it again because it is so important. Paul, who's an Orthodox Jew, I remind you, who only believes there's one God, who is a world-class rabbi and Jewish thinker, says that Jesus is in very nature God. So number one, he says that Jesus existed before the manger and he had the essence or the form or the nature of God, which means, by the way, Jesus is God because you can't have the nature of God and not be God for there's only one being in and outside of time and space that has that DNA. This is not saying Jesus was sort of like God or was a really great prophet or religious thinker. No, this is saying that Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago, who walked around for 33 years ago, is our creator in flesh. And then within the same breath, it seems like he contradicts himself. Though he's got the nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now this is critical to understand Jesus and his invitation for us into the spiritual practices. This is saying, though Jesus is fully God, 
equal with the Father. He chose not to grasp, to be selfish, to hold on to the privilege of who he was. He never stopped being God. He didn't evolve to something else or de-evolve. He just didn't take advantage or seize the opportunity of who he was. In other words, Jesus, as one wrote, did not empty himself of anything. He just chose not to access his power. That's why, again, I love Eugene Peterson in the message when he wrote, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. He had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Well, how did Jesus do this? Well, this, by the way, is an ancient song that used to be sung in churches. The ancient song gives us the answer. Verse 7, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in or being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross so he jesus god in flesh which we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, lives a perfect life, did amazing ministry, walked with the Father perfectly, died a death we all deserve, and then physically overcomes the grave. The point of Paul here, of course, is that he is marked by humility and serving, even though he's equal with God and one with the Father. Verse 9, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we all said at home or online, amen. Now notice, you have the full picture of Jesus, preexistence, incarnation, life, death on a cross, ascension to heaven, forever exaltation. But the thing that we've talked about here in our church for years, which is sort of like the linchpin, is between Christmas and Easter, what did it mean for Jesus not to cling to the advantages of him being God? Well, you start seeing this in his life, and this is where the spiritual practices and the use of spiritual gifts come to the forefront. Oh yes, he did all this to save us, but he also begins to show us what a normal Christian life looks like. So if you've got a Bible... Really quickly, would you turn to Luke 3.21? And this is really important because you've got to pair what we say upstairs, heaven's view, to downstairs, what's happening down here. So it says in Luke 3.21 this, when all the people were being baptized, oh, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus was given or received the Holy Spirit, not for one reason, but for two. Now, the first one is actually in the Father's declaration. You're my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. The Spirit is given to affirm Jesus' ministry call identity. In other words, his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension are validated by God the Father's voice in the presence of the Spirit. And by the way, now we see God in his fullness, right? There's only one God. There aren't many gods. And yet our God, one God, is found in a trinity. Three persons eternally in relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father's voice, the Son of God in flesh, the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove. We see God in his fullness here. But the second reason why the Spirit is given is actually what's so important for us, not only today, but for this whole series, and actually for your whole Christian life or your exploration of the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit was given to lead and empower Jesus to do God the Father's will. Think about it. 
In all of Jesus's life up to this point, Jesus never healed, never cast out demons, never taught in public. At 12 years old, he's hanging out in the temple and they're amazed that he knows the Bible so well, but he has no followers and he gives no new teaching. Yet, right after the Holy Spirit lightens on Jesus, that's when the ministry started and we begin to see how Jesus walked with the Father perfectly. But let me tell you, Again, I have multiple degrees in theology, and I was always confused by this. I'm like, well, why, why does Jesus even need the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus is God, and why is the third person of the Trinity empowering the second sent by the first? I am so confused. Until you get upstairs and downstairs together. This is how Jesus chose not to grasp the power or privilege of deity between Christmas and Easter. He only did what he, his father wanted, and he only did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus chose to do this. See, Jesus, again, never stops being God. Always and forever is the second person of the Trinity. And yet he chose, while he was here, not to access, not to use his divine power. In other words, as I've jokingly said before, he turned off the God tap so we could know what a normal Christian life looks like. See, right after Jesus' baptism, keep reading. Listen to these, these words maybe you've never heard before or you have and hear them afresh. Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Jesus, who is God, is now full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. In Mark's account, it lead, literally reads in, in the original Greek that Jesus was forced and pushed by the Spirit into the desert. And then after he encounters Satan, if you keep coming back, Luke 4, 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So then, again, ready? We've had this conversation, many of us before. Well, then how did Jesus do all this incredible stuff, miracles and exorcisms and bringing people back from the dead and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, but did not use his godness, yet never stopped being God? And the answer is this. Jesus, because he was filled with the Spirit, used spiritual gifts by the Spirit to serve. He had the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus had the spiritual gift of teaching. Jesus had the gift of miracles. Jesus had the gift of healing. Jesus had words of knowledge, just to name a few. Are, are you seeing the connection yet? If we as Christians have the same Holy Spirit together among all of us, and we have the gifts of the Spirit as the church together, then we can do the same things that Jesus did. But if Jesus used his godness, we can never obey or live up to that verse. Actually, Jesus would be lying because we will never be God. Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, John, boom. Like there's all sorts of emojis probably going on right now on the chat, either pitchforks or light bulbs or heads exploding. And so many of you are like, wow, I've never thought about this before. Many of us are like, no, no, we've worked this through. And some of us are like, well, thanks for all that. I've heard you say that before, but John, what does this have to do with spiritual practices? I thought this series was about holy habits. Well, yeah, it is. See, this is the other side of the coin. Spiritual gifts and spiritual practices are the inner and the outer life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. They're the glue in our relationship with God, ourself, and others. So let me read again that very profound, very disturbing, very hopeful verse from John 5:19. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. 
He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Uh, Let me work this out this way. I've shared this a few times before. Have you ever noticed when you read the Gospels, Jesus always leaves at the wrong time? I mean, literally, it's at the height of his ministry. Tens of thousands of people are showing up to hear him. The disciples can't believe how much power and influence and how many followers he has. And there's healing and teaching. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, peace out. I got to go. And the, and the disciples are like, you, you can't go. I mean, this is what we've prayed for. This is the way. He's like, yeah, I got to go. They're like, there's 10,000 people. They're like, yeah, I got to go. Now, if you misread this, you'll think that Jesus was a militant introvert. Maybe he was, but that's not this. Other people are like, well, maybe he had like a social anxiety disorder. No, not in this case. Was he tired? Oh, absolutely. Jesus is showing us we need to rest. But it's deeper than that. Have you noticed every time that Jesus leaves at the wrong time, he's always praying. He's actually talking to the Father in solitude and silence, which we'll get to in a few weeks. And, and that brings us to the question, how, how did Jesus hear and learn and see what his father was up to because he wasn't using his divinity? And the answer is this, spiritual practices. He actually had to place himself in an environment not only to hear what the father was doing and see what the father was doing, but actually get permission. Let me work it out like this. Jesus is hanging out with his dad. Hey, good morning, dad. What do you want me to do today? You want me to go where? You want me to go to Jericho. Why Jericho? There's going to be a man. Okay, just one man? Yeah, there's going to be thousands of people there, but just one. You only want me to talk to him directly? Yeah, okay. Uh, How am I going to know who he is? Well, he's small. What? Oh, he's wee. How wee? Oh, he's a wee little man. A wee little man is he? Yeah, and he's going to be up? Oh, on a sycamore tree. Oh, and you want me to go up to the sycamore tree, and what do you want me to do? Oh, you want me to say, Zacchaeus, come down today because I want to go to your house and have tea? Like, you really want me to do this? Why him? Why not ever? Oh, because, oh, because he's going to become one of our followers today? Got it. Do you see it? Spiritual practices are the guaranteed place of encounter when walking with God. Spiritual gifts are for serving others like Jesus did. Spiritual practices are walking with God and each other. So not only we're changed and transformed and encouraged, but we hear what God wants us to do. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before the God we're already in relationship with so he can transform us. Let me again quote Dallas Willard. He wrote so long ago, now my central claim is we become like Jesus by doing one overall thing. Uh, following the overall lifestyle he chose for himself. And what activities did Jesus practice? Solitude, silence, prayer, simple, sacrificial living, intensive study, meditation on God's word and God's way, and service to others. Okay. Then we go, well, I, I, I get this sort of now. How do I do this? Well, if there's one critical verse that actually, men are these words so needed even for this moment, we all need to go back to a Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <laughs> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke is the key phrase. And Jesus did not say, come to me and I remove all yokes. You get to do what you want. No, no, no. He says, you need to put on my yoke. Now, remember, a yoke 
is what was put on the neck or the back of animals while they were doing farm work. So the master of the animal could direct them. One said we should remember that the rest Jesus offers is not a relaxation of the demands. It's not a removal of any yoke, but it's a new kind yoke, which offers uh, uh, the burden, but the burden is light. The yoke implies obedience. Oh, actually, it implies slavery. But what makes the difference is what sort of master you get to serve. So the beneficial effect of Jesus' yoke derives from the character of the one who is offering it. Oh, and what makes up the yoke that Jesus directs us with? Well, actually, the spiritual practices. But of course, there are great challenges to this. There are large obstacles that are in our culture that almost prevent us to start, let alone keep going. Uh, Here's some of my thoughts, but also some thoughts of some others. The first major barrier is instant satisfaction. Think about our world. Fast food, sound bites, instant credit, breaking news, push notifications, like buttons, and, uh, and Amazon delivery. We instinctively resist anything that takes time or effort. We, we love the idea of depth. We're attracted to the idea, but we are repelled by the idea of pain, time, attention, deprivation, and effort to get to depth. Instant satisfaction is a great enemy of this. Another one is skewed perceptions. Uh, Many of us who might be Christians, we hang out with other Christians and we're like, oh my goodness, that person's such like a saint. They, they, They do all these disciplines all the time and they must just sort of be like gurus and elite Christians who get this and they are so much closer to God and I'll never able to be like them. If you took the time to sit with them and they were doing it in the right way with right motive, they'd probably tell you it was their awareness of their own inadequacy and inability that actually was leading them towards Jesus. We got to get rid of the perception that this is for some elite group of people. This is for all of us. The third great barrier and danger is making this legalism or law or mechanical. See, the disciplines are never ends in themselves. They only place you in the environment, to be with God's spirit so you can be transformed. Let me put it like this. God doesn't go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. John, I just, I'm so, I love you so much more today. You see, you fasted, and so my ear is just a little closer to you today. And by the way, if you fasted for 21 days, like I would be like this close to you. So many people believe spiritual disciplines literally impress God and we're little like children dancing. And if we dance harder, he'll like us more and get closer to us. No, 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 no. He hasn't moved. We move. The disciplines just put us in the place to be near him. Here's one of the most important things we got to work out right now. There's confusion about this because lots of people also believe that spiritual practices and disciplines save you. They're the key that opens the door to get to know God. But they don't ever give you salvation or relationship. They never save us. Let me again read one of the most important verses in the whole Bible, Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace, an undeserved gift, that you get saved through faith, informed trust, and it's in Jesus. This is never from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one gets to brag or boast. We get to do these practices after we get saved by trusting in Jesus. And and by the way, this really matters. Let me me quote a very famous uh, Christian woman who was involved in the disciplines. Her name was Madame Guyon. 
And she wrote this, this phrase, and this is going to show you the power and the privilege and the danger of this. God, she wrote, is only to be found in our inner selves, which is the Holy of Holies, where God dwells. Now, you could read this as a New Ager and believe I'm saying the same thing. I'm not. This is only true if you're a Christian. This is only true if you've repented of your sins. This is only true if you believe that Jesus literally died and rose from the dead and he really physically rose. You believe he's God in flesh, the only way to salvation. This is only true if you're born again and Jesus' spirit lives in you. But if you're not a Christian and you do all these practices, you will end up encountering yourself. And you will think you're your own savior and or even more scary, you will encounter other forces that might appear good or might even help you for a period of time, but they're actually malevolent and they'll act like God, but their long-term goal is your destruction. See, this is the image we use all the time in our church. Think about a plug, a socket in a wall. There are three forms of electricity, the devil, you, or God. And depending on who you are and where you're at, and what you're plugged into, when you do the disciplines, you're going to encounter one of those three. We want everyone to encounter only Jesus' spirit. Let me put it another way. I've been married now 20 years uh, this August. This will be our 20th anniversary. We've had good times, great times, and bad times. But the one thing that my wife and I know, and it's harder these days, but we know is that to keep our love genuine, we have to keep dating even though we're married. And so, not trying to be crass, but thinking about it like this, spiritual disciplines keep the relationship you have already with God, which was a gift, healthy and exciting and vibrant. It's, it's like me and my wife dating years after we've known each other. Now, notice this too. Each practice is open to all of us. Every Christian is going to be invited into each practice. And as you do them over a longer period of time, you'll become more like Jesus. By personality, you'll edge towards some over others. But by the way, that's the difference between the practices and the gifts. All spiritual practices can be accessed by all Christians. Spiritual gifts are assigned by the Spirit. But then I always have to take this moment to do a little rabbit trail. Because this is really critical. For we who really know Jesus and have his Spirit in us... The person that you meet when you do the practices, the Holy Spirit, can be grieved. So you can walk into the room, and while you walk in the room, grieve him, and the expectations will change. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed to the day of redemption. Oh, he's staying with you. But the Holy Spirit, when we sin, can be grieved. So when the Holy Spirit's grieved, gifts don't disappear, their power just ends. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, the spiritual practices become powerless to transform and you cannot hear. It's like you walk in the room and you sit down with the Holy Spirit. You want to have a coffee with him and then look at him and say, I'm really not interested in talking to you, even though I'm here. So welcome (laughs) to a series that in a very practical way, week in and week out, is going to allow you and teach you how to sit with Jesus and to walk with Jesus and to be marked by him, the source of all contentment in any situation for the rest of your life. We're going to explore things like solitude and and silence and worship and prayer and service and confession and study and chastity and secrecy and more. And I know some of you are like, oh, I've done this. No, no, come back. Let's do this again together because eventually when we regather together physically, we can all be so profoundly different. So as we begin this spring series, there's just two responses today. That's it. First, the first one is some of you 
actually need to meet God through Jesus so the practices will be helpful in the first place. So many of you have been joining us over the Easter season or beyond as seekers or skeptics or you're somewhat Christian or you're on the fence or you're spiritually curious. So let let me just simply summarize where you're coming from. Most people are like this. Either, here's one opinion, one person wrote it like this. Either we've come from nowhere, we're going nowhere, and we'll improvise between birth and death. Or the other narrative is this, we actually come from somewhere, we are going somewhere called heaven, there is a God, and you can't improvise between birth and death because we need to be good, moral, kind, and religious, and God will like us. And Christianity comes along and says, actually, you're all wrong. (laughs) Nope, because you need a savior. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you actually know who he is and you believe in your heart God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you become a Christian. It's with your heart you believe and you are justified. It's with your mouth you profess your faith and you're saved. As the Old Testament says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Justified means you're put in good standing. You're made righteous and you're acquitted. Though we are all guilty because of sin, through the work of Jesus, what we celebrated at Easter, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when you say, Jesus, cover me with your work, then we get acquitted. If you've never accepted Jesus, in a moment, I'm going to give you that chance because you need to meet him so the practices have life because you want to meet the person who actually can save you. You don't want to meet yourself or something else. Now, before I do that, let me just speak to all of us who are Christians. For we who are Christians, whether we know about this subject matter or not, this is the chance to redeem the moment. This is how we take back the moment. And this is how we begin to grow in ways we probably wouldn't have intentionally chosen seven or eight weeks ago. The window is short. The moment is given. And when we look back at this moment in five, 10, or 20 years, We should be asking ourselves the question, how did I redeem that moment and what person did I become during that moment? And I hope our answer is going to be, well, I became way more like Jesus. My life in that moment and way beyond that moment was marked now for the rest of my life with these new rhythms and practices where I learned how I could be like Christ walking with God the Father. Jesus is inviting us to follow him in his footsteps and the choice is ours. Since the Holy Spirit's in us, all we need to do is show up and begin. And I think lots of us might have the time now to begin this. So let's just take a moment, wherever you might be, uh, in Toronto, in Canada, or actually around the world, let's just pray a few things. Number one, if you are spiritually curious, you're not a Christian, Christian in name only, or you've never just met Jesus, pray this. Say, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, I do believe that you lived. I do believe that you actually are who you claimed. You are Lord. You're God in flesh. I do believe you're the only way to heaven. I do trust in your work where you died and rose again, and I want you to cover my sin. I can't save myself. And so I repent of my sin. I believe you've been risen from the dead, and I'm asking you to save me. So when I begin these practices and walk with you, I'm going to meet you, Lord Jesus Christ, the, Bible, the, the Jesus from Scripture, and no one else. So I just say, thanks for saving me today. I begin this journey with you. And for us who already know Jesus, here's what we want to say, Lord, help us to redeem this moment. Help us to have great faith in the middle of fear. But beyond this, would you begin to mark Sanctus Church and also many others listening now or watching online and begin to teach us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the teacher 
And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you across our whole church and beyond our church to teach us to be like Jesus, to begin to walk in these spiritual practices. We are very excited as we know this is guaranteed encounter. We're going to hear from you, be more like you, and actually be marked by you. We just dedicate this season to you and pray this would begin to mark us now in a new way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who's our Savior and our Lord and our model. And we all said together, amen. So glad that you joined us today. So glad that you are praying online today. So glad that you're going to go to your connect groups and begin to wrestle this stuff through and cannot wait to see you next week as we begin to specifically dive into each one of these spiritual practices. See you next week.